0: Well, how many of you are excited for July 4th? Yeah, I love it. How many because it's hot dogs and and hamburgers and lakes? How many is it because it's our independence and our freedom? Amen. Well, the message I have for you today, and I've told this to a few of you, and y'all look at me with wide eyes as soon as I say it, but the message this morning um, has been clocked out many times, and it comes to an hour and 48 minutes. Now, I have it sliced down to a nice tight 25 for you, so don't panic. (laughs) Um, I've studied this for 25 years, and when you hear that I was a conference speaker, yes, I shared the gospel a lot. Yes, I did comedy, but I also talked on American history and what it means to the gospel. And so that's what I want to share with you today. And it's called The Truth Patriot. Facts regarding the USA Revolution. And I don't know if you've ever really stopped and thought about it, but we had no chance of winning that war. Absolutely zero. And I'll get into it. You say, well, we won. How could it be absolutely zero? You'll see the hand of God in a few minutes. But let's start with Psalm 33, verse 12. Psalm 33, verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. That's pretty cool. I love history, but what we're looking at right now is the number one reason why I started homeschooling our kids. It was because revisionist historians were starting to teach history that I knew wasn't true. See, revisionist history will teach children that, they, they teach children differently now than what many of us were taught in school. There are two things that historical rev- revisionists teach. You ready? Number one, you evolved without God. That's the first thing they want to teach our children and you. And number two, Christianity had little role in the founding of America. Well, I want to take a closer look. See, because when I was in Washington, D.C., and I think the last time I was there was 2005, I still remember that the quotes and references to the biblical Christian faith and to the biblical creator are inscribed in brass and etched in stone all over our capital, you can't run from it. Going inside the Capitol building rotunda and all around the rooms are huge paintings depicting important historical events. If you walk in and to the left, you're going to see a painting of the baptism of Pocahontas in the rotunda of our Capitol in D.C. To the right, you're going to see pilgrims praying for God's mercy before sailing to the new world with an open Bible in full view, smack dab in the center of the painting. No matter what they want to tell you, you can't run from it. Now, I had the privilege of uh, going to a banquet for some political senator. And you get there, you don't know where you're going to sit. They just, you go up and you say, Hey, we're Chris and Emily, we're here. They say, and they give you a ticket and you look at the ticket and you go to that table and you sit down. Well, I sat down at this table and to my right was a man named David Barton. Anybody know who David Barton is? David Barton's from Wall Builders. Wall builders has the goods, they have all the historical documents, it's all there for anybody to see. We're talking about empirical, you can't debate it. You can't debate that that's what's going on. Also, there was a guy named Peter Marshall who was the Senate chaplain for 30 years. He had a son named Peter Marshall Jr. Peter Marshall Jr. uh, did a deep dive on some of this stuff, and I lifted some of his notes. And then Russ Miller, if you followed No Apology with Emily, Russ Miller's a guest, he's a creation speaker. And when we would do fact or fiction conferences, my role was to talk about American history. And that's what I want to share with you again today. Because once you hear what I'm going to share with you today, I hope you never look at our freedom in the same light. See, when you walk into the House chambers in D.C., the House chambers where our legislatures vote on legislation and pass laws, right above the doors of the House chamber, you will see marble reliefs of 22 of history's greatest lawmakers. And they're all profiled facing one in the center you know who that one in the center is? It's Moses. All of them are facing Moses. Moses being the only one facing forward. Why do you suppose they did that? See, if you stop and think about it, and I mean just like use common sense, critical thinking. I know we don't want that in our country anymore. But for those of us who still have it, you will leave a mark on everything that you do. We will all leave marks on everything we do. In fact, we won't be able to leave here today without leaving fingerprints and evidence behind that prove that you were here in this place specifically for this service. Well, the fingerprints of God are unmistakably upon the history of the United States, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Even beyond this service, I I encourage you to examine that stuff over July 4th weekend. It's no, no better time to do it. Well, let me start with Dr. Benjamin Rush. Anybody here know who Dr. Benjamin Rush is? He never made it on any dollar bills or anything, never became president. Instead, he was our very first Surgeon General of the United States. Here's his quote. The only foundation for a republic is to be laid in religion. Christianity is the only true and perfect religion. Could you imagine the Surgeon General saying that thing today? Christianity is the only true and perfect religion. Well, Dr. Rush said it, and he was not run out of Washington or removed from his position. See, statements like that of Dr. Benjamin Rush were so common during the founding of our country. I could go on and on and on. See, 93%. 52 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were professing Christians that left plenty of evidence behind that that's who they were. 95% of the authors of the U.S. Constitution were Christians. Take a deep dive look at the Declaration of Independence. You know what it says? It reads that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. We all got taught that in high school, at least I hope we did, even in the last 20 years. But before that, I know we all got taught that, yes? So by that one statement, what can, we, what can we dissect? We can take three very important things from that one statement. Number one, we have a creator. Number two, all are created equal. And number three, our rights then come from that biblical creator, In fact, the framers of our Constitution, they cite two main references. One is the Ten Commandments inside the King James Bible. Pretty obvious, yes? The other, who they quoted in the framing of our Constitution at length, was Sir William Blackstone in his commentaries on the laws of England. How many of you know Sir Willie? Nobody? Well... Sir William Blackstone is an 18th century English legal scholar. And he had as much to do with our Bill of Rights and Constitution as any of the founding fathers. See, he believed, William Blackstone believed, I love this guy, he believed that the laws of England should be easily understood by the common man. In other words, take the mumbo-jumbo and break it down so the common man can understand it. So he took all the legal jargon of English law and wrote it into a common language. At the heart of Blackstone's philosophy was the Ten Commandments. And his writings are just packed with Judeo-Christian values. And as a legal scholar, he taught that man is created by God and granted fundamental rights by God. There is no doubt, and can be no doubt, no matter how you want to spin it, that man being endowed by our creator is the only context by which we are supposed to interpret the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Now, it is very telling that the Constitution begins with the words we the people. It reinforces the firm belief that our founders believed that each person's rights come from their biblical creator. It is with this backdrop that I want you to take on your 4th of July weekend. Okay? Psalm 3312. Psalm 3312. Put it back up there. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Ever since I started really getting my mind around the evidence I have felt more and more and more as an American is called by God to be for his kingdom because we're American. You think it's a coincidence that the apple of God's eye, the nation of Israel, biggest supporter all these years has been America? In fact, if Harry S. Truman wouldn't have signed that deal on the 14th of May, they wouldn't have found it on the 15th of May, 1948. America was chosen by God to be a Christian nation and its founders left marks throughout everything and God left a divine footprint to say this is my nation. On our money it says in God we trust, yes? Why did our founding fathers feel it so necessary to point to God in all they did? Cuz they believed Psalm 33:12. <laughs> Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Here's another founding father, different area. You might not think of him as one. Noah Webster. Noah Webster, there are a lot of other people that had a profound impact on our country like this guy. You know his name. He wrote the first American dictionary. His textbooks were used for more than a 100 years to teach American children. He graduated from Yale. He started the first law school in the United States. He's called the father of American scholarship and education. So can we, before I get to his quote, can can we agree this guy's probably pretty smart? The dude wrote the dictionary. <laughs> okay. Noah Webster, the father of American education, said this He said, Our continued success is dependent upon our educating youth of America in the principles of the Christian religion. So we should ask ourselves is that what we're doing? Obviously, it's not. When did it go wrong? Where did it go wrong? What do we do now? Well, one of the things we can do is look at the actual founding of our nation. I want to talk about some real historical facts as we pursue Independence Day this week. And there's two things I'd like to add to the foundation to reinforce, and I cannot stress this enough. One is that this country was founded on Christian principles by Christian men and women. That's fact. You can try to spin it if you want to, but you're lying, okay? A lot of people believe that Many of our founding fathers were deists or universalists. And let's look briefly at a few statements by some of the founding fathers, just to give a feel for the mood at the time, okay? Sam Adams wrote a track widely read by the colonists called The Rights of the Colonists as Christians. In it, Sam Adams said, and I quote, The rights of the colonists as Christians may be best understood by reading and carefully studying the New Testament. On the day the vote was, for independence was taken, it was taken on July 2nd, 1776. It was signed on the 4th. But it was after the vote was taken, Sam Adams rose to his feet and he spoke the following words into the stunned silence to close that day's proceedings. Are you ready? Anybody who says politics and religions don't mix, anybody who wants to say that there's a separation of church and state, this is July 2nd, 1776. The vote's taken, and somebody's gonna stand up and give the last word, and it was Sam Adams. This is what he said. We have this day restored the Sovereign, capital S, to whom alone men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven, and from the rising to the setting sun, may his kingdom come. Amen. This was not a political rebellion. They were looking for the coming of God's kingdom through Jesus Christ on these shores. That's what these people were about. Did you know that they had slapped on themselves a requirement of unanimity? Had any state voted against independence, they would not declare it. In political rebellion, majority rule would do just fine, right? We see that every day. This proves that they were not hasty. By signing, understand what these 54 men were doing. With that signature, they were laying out their property, their safety, their future. They were putting it all on the line for freedom and liberty. Patrick Henry, the author of the famous Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech, one of the greatest quotes was this, you ready? America was not founded by religionists nor on any religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. How's that for a blunt statement by the founding fathers? John Adams, second president, said, our constitution was designed for a holy and moral people. It is wholly inadequate for any other. I'm not saying they were prophets, but look around. So I ask you, is it possible that the founding fathers had an outlook that of the people who would you know, base their existence on Holy Scripture so much that they would leave open the right for misinterpretation, yes? With the understanding that the power of God and his word would win out in the end. So we don't need to divide ourselves over the minor stuff. That's really what was going on. This possible conclusion would then leave open the possibility of some historical errors and labeling them deists. They did, some of them didn't want to fight because they thought not to fight over doctrine. Then they get labeled many years from now. Or when that happened, many years later, 200 years later, they start calling them universalists and deists. That was not what was happening. Secondly, and hopefully this gets you fired up to, to study American history. Again, wallbuilders.com is the place I would go if I was you, if you get, get into this. Secondly, Is there any evidence that God supernaturally intervened in America's founding? Is there anything that would point to that there was actual divine intervention? It's everywhere, y'all. It's everywhere through all the stories of the Revolutionary War. Now, I don't know how many of you have even thought about it since I mentioned it 10 minutes ago, but we had absolutely no chance to win the war for independence. None. This, it would be the equivalent, and this is not an exaggeration, it would be the equivalent of just the people in this room, we have to come up with a football team, and we have to play the Kansas City Chiefs, and if we don't win, we lose our lives. And we have to play them tomorrow. What do you think our odds are? I mean, I have a pretty good arm, but it ain't, it ain't that good. Plus, I, again, if you didn't pay attention, this was the 37th year in a row the NFL passed on me at this year's draft, so... I know. I know. You'd have thought somebody wanted a 58-year-old undersized overweight quarterback, but apparently not. (laughs) That's what it would be like. It's not physically possible, but that's the equivalent. Why do I say that? Because we were outgunned, we were outmanned, we were outsupplied, we were outgeneraled with the exception of Washington, Benedict Arnold, and a few other brilliant commanders. The British Army and Navy were the finest fighting force in the world at that time. They were highly trained, highly skilled, highly disciplined, highly motivated. We never had a chance. We had 11,000 American troops up against over 21,000 crack British regular army troops. Us against the Kansas City Chiefs, yes? Now, 5,000 of our men, five regiments, were raw recruits from the state of Connecticut. They had not had one hour of training, not one hour of drill. They were absolutely raw. Now, these cats, they'd fight like madmen, but it was hopeless from the start, really was. God supernaturally won the Revolutionary War over and over and over again. The afternoon of August 27th, 1776, we've already declared independence. It's just a little over a month and a half later, and the end is near. The Continental Army is trapped beyond repair. With the entire British Army across our front, We are backed into a semicircle with our backs to the East River in New York. There's no escape. We're done. All the British had to do was mount one final charge, and it would have all been over. Washington and his staff and the entire army would have had to surrender. But at this point, after a fierce battle, 1,500 of our men were down, dead, or wounded. Another 1,500 taken prisoner. We only had 8,000 effectives. Now, in the middle of the afternoon in August in New York, you had three or four hours of daylight left. They had plenty of time. For some reason, nobody's ever explained. They never mounted the final charge. I've got an idea in just a second. But they backed off. They did nothing. They disengaged. They pulled back. The next morning, it started to rain. A cold, hard, pelting rain from the northeast, driven by a stiff northeast wind. Now, this is very Because the British fleet lay anchor southwest on the East River two miles waiting for the wind to shift I believe the British backed off because they were waiting for that unit of Navy ships to be ready to complete the encirclement So they decided to wait a day They weren't anticipating the weather change that they got See, if they sailed up the river and they completed the encirclement, the war is over But there was a stiff northeast wind And they couldn't move all day Washington called his staff together in the afternoon of August 28th. And he said, I have a plan. We're going to evacuate back the way in which we came. He meant back across the East River by small boat to the tip of what is now Manhattan. His officers argued with him. They said, it's impossible, it can't be done. Better to sell our lives in the trenches and take as many of them with us as we can. But George said, no, my mind is made up. This is what we're going to do. It took them a few hours to get ready, for the evacuation, and it began under the cover of the storm. Now, just by coincidence, of course, members of some of the last regiments from the battle two days earlier now were men from the North Shore of Massachusetts Bay. They were Minutemen. They were from Salem and Marblehead. They were expert oarsmen. They could dip the oars in and out of the water without a wash. And this became extremely important, because two hours into the evacuation, the storm died down, the wind ceased, and the moon came out on a hot, calm, still August night. You know how Solomon travels on water? The British Navy, two miles south, if they'd heard the sound of roaring, they would have launched the longboats and captured the entire army, but they never heard a thing all night. The real miracle, though, happened at dawn. Now, what happened at dawn, is recorded in both Army's diaries. Don't miss this. It's recorded in both di- diaries. Major Van Talbidge of our side tells it best. Van Talbudge wrote, as the eastern si- sky began to lighten from black to purple, streaks of red and orange, just as the light began to rise, every American eye was anxiously on the eastern horizon. Why? Because several thousand troops were waiting on the Brooklyn shore. And as soon as it became light enough, the British could see they would all be captured. Van Talmudge wrote, just as the light rose, a dense fog rose out of the earth. And this is what he said. Listen to this. I recall this peculiar intervention of divine providence perfectly well. This intervention of divine providence The fog hung like a blanket between the two um, lines, the American lines and the British lines, and formed a corridor across the East River to the tip of Manhattan. We tarried until late morning. Gets even better at the very end. Van Telmage tells us that the fog lifted at the same moment the last boatload of Americans left the Brooklyn shore. The British guard saw what was happening, ran down to the shore, fired a couple of futile musket shots, but they fell just short. The last boat was just out of range. 8,000 Americans got away scot-free. The British wrote in their diary, "You ready? The hand of God is against us." You better believe it. You better believe it, Nigel. The hand of God created this nation. And as we celebrate this nation, there's men and women from my era, from my neighborhood, people that knew my dad, people that knew my grandfather, that fought in world wars in Vietnam and Korea, but go all the way back to the Revolutionary War. And think of all the great men and women who have stood for freedom And many of them stood for freedom because it was a way to share the gospel with the world. I ask you, up until 1999, everything's been different since the year 2000, we all know that. But up until 1999, who shared the gospel more than the United States with the rest of the world in the last 200 years? Nobody. Because God created this nation. And now, when we were in Israel, I saw some news headlines. Now, you know, this nation is is so far from what it once was. And when we celebrate the new religion of America with the hanging of that flag at the White House, my stomach turns, and it has nothing to do with those who wave that flag. It has to do with discounting the people that gave us the American flag. I support the American flag because the American flag is under the banner in which God has blessed and ordained the gospel to go forth across the world. And he's still calling us to it. He's still calling us to be faithful with what we have. He doesn't want us to look at what others have. What do we have? And then he says... Remember, remember, remember. God says that all throughout Scripture. Remember where you came from. Don't move the boundary markers of your forefathers. And let's look at Colossians 2.8 as we close today. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit. The version I have up there is, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and vain deceit according to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That's what we want for you. That's what I want for myself. I want to not get taken into deception based on human tradition. Understand the facts, and you will see that God not only has created this nation, He has blessed this nation. And he has given us freedom for another day. And I, for one, am really, really excited to call myself a Christian and to call myself an American. And may God bless you this weekend and may God bless America. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just love you and thank you and praise you. We ask that you would just be with us As we hold on to our salvation, and sometimes, Lord, it gets slippery, we need you to hold us in your grip in those moments. Lord, we ask that you would just guide each and every one of us through our Fourth of July holiday, and let it be one where we're always remembering your great sacrifice, which gives us eternal life, which makes our freedom even better. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris a weekly download from freshroadmedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener supported and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson and thank you so much for spending some time with us today and may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.